0: O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Let's pray. Father thank you for your word. Thank you, dear Lord, that you have kept your promise. You have preserved your word. And Lord, here we are thousands of years later and Lord, we the Bible is more abundant and available now uh, more than it has ever been. Father, we thank you uh, Lord for your promise. We thank you, dear Lord, for your ability to keep your promise. And Lord, we thank you that, Lord, we have your word that we can look at, uh, we can learn from it, and we can live by it. Lord, as we look tonight, uh, Lord, at this final uh, concluding point Father about whether or not your word is a reliable resource. I pray to Lord that throughout this study you have convinced us. Lord you've solidified in our heart that Lord although there are many things in this world that can't be trusted there are many ideas that are false and unfounded. Lord your word is true and we can stand upon it. We can live by it and Lord we can be confident in the outcome. Father I thank you for it. Bless now as we finish this study and Father we'll praise you in Jesus name Amen and man. So, over the last few months, as you know, we've been answering this question: Is the Bible a reliable resource? We've looked at several different uh, subjects concerning the Word of God that help uh, conclude that the Bible is indeed a reliable resource. We looked at the divine origin of the Word of God, and of course, many subpoints under that, but many things that proved that it did indeed have divine origin. We looked at the historical accuracy of the Word of God and many artifacts that confirm the the accuracy of the history found in the Word of God. We looked at the scientific validity of the Word of God and how that there are many things in the Word of God that are scientifically accurate that were there before man concluded that this was how it should be. Uh, We also looked at the practical relevance of the Word of God concerning personal relationships, financial advice, and social interactions and so forth and so on. Then we looked at the prophetic authentication of the Word of God. We looked at some... uh, some Events that the Bible had prophesied that have since taken place and we know from history that these events have taken place and we saw how that the Bible had prophesied that these events would take place and we looked at the fall of Tyre, the fall of Babylon, the fall of Jerusalem, Uh, uh, we looked at the reign of Cyrus and many other things concerning the prophetic uh, authenticity of the Word of God. The final point that we looked at, which we looked at last week, uh, was the messianic prophecies. Now, of course, we talked about how there are over 300 prophecies in the Word of God concerning the Messiah, and we saw how that the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled every one of these prophecies. Last week, uh, we looked at 26 prophecies That could not have been faked or forged or been duplicated by an imposter. And we proved that the prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus Christ in His birth and in His death, the fulfillment was without doubt He was the Messiah. And of course, looking at that, we both proved the reliability of Scripture in prophesying the Savior, but we also proved that that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So this evening we'll be looking at our final proof of the Bible being a reliable resource. If you still have some of the earlier worksheets where we had laid out all the points ahead of time if you still have one of those you can look and see where we had came uh, to this final thing of spiritual explanation. Now if you have one of those earlier worksheets uh, you'll notice I believe there was six sub points. We have condensed those to three sub points. So we've condensed that down. Uh, Some of them were kind of repeating themselves and so I've condensed them down And this final proof of the reliability of Scripture that we're going to look at this evening is spiritual explanation. Spiritual explanation. In this lesson tonight, we're going to look at the ability of Scripture to explain the spiritual makeup of man and the uniqueness of our existence because we are indeed spiritual Uh, spiritual creatures Uh, so we're going to dive right into this thing of spiritual explanation that is the the subject matter that we'll be looking at tonight. Now the Bible claims And I I say this, I use the word claim simply because in this lesson we are proving whether or not the Bible is a reliable resource. I don't say that the Bible claims this because I don't believe it. I just say it because that's how the lesson flows. The Bible claims to be a spiritual book. The Bible claims to have been written by a spiritual being. So the test tonight will be to ask, does the Bible explain the spiritual makeup Of mankind. Does the Bible explain our spiritual being? Now, there is no question as to whether we are spiritual beings or not. There is no doubt that mankind has a a dimension that none of the rest of creation possesses. Uh, It is a dimension in our makeup that we are aware of. It is something that we speak of. It is something that we know is there, whether we have become Christian or if we are still unsafe. We understand that there is a dimension in the makeup of mankind that is completely different from any other animal or plant life or whatever it may be, there is something that is different about mankind. Mankind possesses a much deeper connectivity to all things than anything else in existence. Many times we'll speak of this uh, deeper being, this other dimension when we refer to ourselves. Uh, You'll hear people make statements describing themselves such as the real me. Well, you don't know the real me. Or I try to keep my mouth shut because I don't want people to know the real me. I've told people before that I'm real good at making friends until I open my mouth. Then it's all over with. They get to see inside. And so we see that we'll refer to the real me. Sometimes we'll refer to my inner self. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about uh, that they are listening to the voices in their head. Now, none of these are accurate explanations or descriptions of this spiritual dimension, but it it gives gives us uh, notice that humans are aware that there's another part of me. I'm not just this body. I'm not just a mammal. I'm not just an animal that with great intelligence there is a deeper part of me and mankind is aware of this, this extra dimension. Now, antagonistic scientists, depraved atheists, they want us to believe that were simply advanced apes. Now I just got to run a sidetrack right here just a little bit and leave my thought out notes and just go off the top of my head. You'll notice the difference. Whenever people say that humans and apes resemble each other, I think, Brother Ted, they need to go to the eye doctor. (laughs) Because whenever I look at an ape, Unless it's a silhouette behind a sheet uh, with a with a light just showing the silhouettes uh, and we're both standing up with arms outstretched, I really see no resemblance at all. I mean, whenever I look at an ape or a monkey, I see no resemblance uh, except for the fact that sometimes, not normally, sometimes they will stand upright. Uh, they have two legs and two arms, which is true of pretty much any m- mammal. Uh, uh, they have fingers uh, uh, that sort of resemble our fingers, but uh, after that it's all lost now I've had people say that they saw people that looked like a monkey but I've never really seen it have you? And besides that, I grow a little hair on my face, a little hair on top of my head, but they have hair all over. I mean, you just you can just keep on going down the line. There is very small similarities between man and an ape. But scientists and atheists, you know, and antagonistic and depraved atheists want us to believe that we're simply advanced apes. But it doesn't take a scientist to recognize. That human behavior, human intelligence, human communication, and boy, there's a whole whole study I want to do on language and, and our relationship to God, but we can't get into all that tonight. But humans' ability to communicate, humans' understanding of their surroundings, it doesn't take a scientist to realize that there is a component of the human makeup that no mammal possesses. I find it so interesting that you will see uh, we have, a, we have the, the horse there in the field and she likes her grain in the morning. And when I will go out in the morning, boy, she'll holler at me. I mean, she, the first thing, if she sees me come out on the porch, uh, boy, she's letting me know that she's hungry and it's time for her grain. But it's only the same sound that she makes all the time. I'm not going to try to duplicate it. <laughs> she just neighs real loud and she lets me know, hey, I want that grain. And sometimes those people will say, oh my goodness, look, animals can communicate just like we can. No, I can communicate a whole lot better than that. I can communicate a whole lot better than just making a loud noise to get someone's attention. At, at, in the early morning, I have, a, I have a couple of roosters and if any of y'all want an extra rooster, just let me know. I got a couple of roosters out there in the pen and right at the break of day, them roosters will start crowing. I don't mind the roosters so much, but it aggravates my hound. He doesn't like it. And then he'll say it off, oh, and I just want to go shoot him. I'm just like, shut up, dog. I don't really want to shoot him. He's still alive. But you listen to these noises that these animals make. Are they able to communicate? Very, very small, limited communication. Most of us in this room have not even begun to scratch the surface of what humans are capable of in the realm of communication. There are humans who know multiple languages, can speak them all fluently. Uh, they can communicate in ways uh, that you and I can't, haven't even scratched the surface of. We have an ability to communicate that animals have never even scratched the surface of. There's a, a difference in our behavior, in our intelligence, in our communication, in our understanding of our surroundings that no mammal possesses. I believe what we're seeing is that while the rest of life exhibited on our planet are living bodies with different degrees of development. Mankind is a living soul. Everything else, if you look at my old hound, if you look at the chickens, you look at the deer, you look at the ape, any animal you want to pick, any other life that you want to pick, well, you could even include plant life and insect life and reptiles, and any life you want to look at, it's a body. It is a body that is given life here on this earth. You and I are not just a body. As a matter of fact, humans are completely different because humans are are living souls. We are not a body that possesses a spirit. We are a spirit that has a body. My original makeup was not a body of flesh that a spirit was put into. No, I was made a spirit after the likeness of God and then he gave me a physical body so I could live and interact here on this earth. We are completely 100% different uh, uh, from anything else on this earth. Whenever we look at this, and through my introduction here, I'm kind of giving away my message, but we'll we'll tie it all together in a little bit. Whenever we look at this, we recognize uh, that mankind is set apart from everything else. We are definitely different. You don't have to read the Bible to know this. It's obvious that mankind is different, mankind is superior, mankind is set apart. It doesn't take the Bible to explain this. So we ask the question when we're trying to find out if the Bible is reliable, we say if the Bible Bible claims to be a spiritual book, so if the Bible is a spiritual book, it's evident that I'm a spiritual creature. Does the Bible explain my spiritual existence? This would help me understand if the Bible is a reliable resource or not, if a book that claims to be spiritual can explain my spiritual existence. And so that's what we're going to attempt to do in this lesson. When we turn to the pages of the Bible, we find that not only does it speak of our spiritual being, but it explains it very, very well. Now, three things that we're going to look at this evening concerning concerning our spiritual makeup. The first thing that we're going to look at concerning our spiritual makeup is the origin of man. The origin of man when we first started. The Bible says, according to the Word of God, the Bible says, this is how man began. In Genesis 1, verse 26, the Bible says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now if you jump ahead to Genesis chapter number 2 and verse number 7, we see that the creation account is being uh, repeated. And in verse number 7 of Genesis chapter number 2, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. This description is not given of anything else that exists on this physical earth. Man became a living soul. In verse number 26, we see the plan for the design of mankind. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. This is the plan that God had for the creation of man. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. In verse number 27, we see the performance of this plan. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So we see the plan. We see the performance. God said, this is what I want to do. Then we see that God did what he had intended to do. In chapter 2 and verse number 7, which we read just a moment ago, we find the practical explanation of this plan. What was it that God meant? What was it that He intended when He said, let us make man in our image? What was it that He was speaking of? And we see here in verse, uh, uh, chapter 2 and verse number 7, it says, and man became a living soul. The plan was to make man in God's image. The performance was that he did what he had planned to do. The practical explanation is that God made man a living soul God made man a spiritual being so whenever we say okay this claims to be a spiritual book I know that I am a spiritual I, I have a spiritual dimension does this book explain my spiritual dimension we go to the origin of man and we find immediately that the Bible describes you and I as being far more than anything else he created in 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 fact the Bible teaches us that we were made spiritual beings identical to the image of So we see here that in the origin of man, the Bible speaks of our spiritual design. Man was designed to be more than an earthly inhabitant as the rest of creation was. Mankind was designed as an eternal spirit inhabiting a temporal body with the capability of knowing and being able to communicate with His Creator. Boy, I'm telling you what, I know that whenever I teach this stuff that I study, it's like a secondhand kiss, right? You know, when Grandma calls on the phone and she says, kiss Johnny for me, it, it, you really don't get nothing out of that kiss, right? That's sort of how it sometimes is whenever I'm trying to relate to you what I've studied. But what I'm telling you is I'm looking at this, and I, I'm putting this together, and I'm seeing that you and I were created as spiritual beings with the capability of knowing our Creator, and being able to communicate with Him. No other part of creation has this capability. God can communicate with the rest of creation. God can control the rest of creation. God can dictate what goes on with the rest of creation. The animals can respond to and obey God, but they do not have the ability to have a relationship with God because they're missing the spiritual component that is necessary uh, to be able to have a relationship with God. We have been designed with the ability to both know Him and communicate with Him. Several passages of Scripture illustrate this truth about the fact that we are both body and spirit. Matthew 10 and verse number 28 Jesus speaking here. Matthew 10 and verse 28 He says, And fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Showing that completely separate, showing that the body is n- not of any real importance, but the soul is of superior importance, but rather fill him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Second Corinthians 4 and verse number 16. We see here in 2 Corinthians 4 and 16, the Bible says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, that would be speaking of our body, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. We see that our body and our spirit can respond differently. The outward man is perishing because it is temporal, yet the inward man is renewed and refreshed. There's a separation between the body and spirit. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse number 1. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. James 2 and verse number 26. James 2 and verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Without a spirit inhabiting this body, this body will Die. There must be a spirit. Why? Because the spirit, a spiritual being, is what I am. Now whenever I look at myself and I look at you and you look at me, we see a fleshly being. Brother Randy, we're spiritual beings. God created mankind as living souls. So we ask, is the Bible a reliable resource concerning the spiritual makeup of man? I believe in these verses we've just looked at, as well as uh, many others, we find that the Bible plainly describes the origin and existence of man's spiritual being. The second proof that we want to look at on this uh, regarding this subject is when we look at what the Bible has to say about the purpose of man. What is the purpose of man? Now really... Pray that I'm able to relay to you what, what, how the Lord spoke to me through this. Colossians 1 and verse number 16, for by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. Simply put, you and I have been specifically designed by God for the purpose of bringing glory to God and uniquely equipped to fellowship with God. Now, we often mention that we're designed to bring glory to God. Oftentimes in messages we'll say that Christians, our purpose is to glorify God, to bring glory to God. But perhaps it would help us to understand what does it mean When we say that we're to glorify God, a lot of times, whenever we say that, in our mind, we have a picture of just standing and praising, and this is glorifying God, you know. And and really, our limited minds many times don't think much beyond that. So, what does it mean to glorify God? And I believe when we explain this, it's going to bring some clarity to the fact that we are spiritual beings. In Psalm 100, verse two and three, you're familiar with this psalm. Psalm 100, verse two and three, the Bible says, "Serve." The Lord with gladness, come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Here in this passage, I find that glorifying God consists of two things: one, recognizing our Creator and two, serving our Creator. What does it mean to glorify God? It means, first of all, that I recognize my Creator, and second of all, that I serve my Creator. Because the Bible tells us in the book of John, chapter number 4 and verse number 24, that God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth thinking about this through the lens of the fact that we're spiritual beings, thinking about this through the lens of the fact that we are to glorify God, glorifying God is recognizing, knowing, and serving our Creator. Our Creator is a spirit. The only way that I can know and have a relationship with my Savior is through my spiritual being. Now in the New Testament, during the Gospels, while Christ was here on earth, there were people who saw Christ, they walked with Christ, they served Christ, but that is not our day. The only way that I can know God is through a connection between my spirit and His spirit. That's the only way that I can know Him. That is the only way that I can connect with Him. It's the only way that I can understand Him. The reason that many people uh, look into the Word of God and they do not understand the Word of God is because the Bible tells us that the spiritual things are hid to those who have not been converted. They can't grasp it because the only way that I can understand a spiritual creator is through my spiritual being. Our spirits must be connected. Although uh, Those that know him and communicate with him can only be with my spirit connecting with his spirit. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 and verse number 16, the spirit itself, speaking of the Holy Spirit, beareth witness with our spirit. This is my spirit communicating with his spirit. I am a spiritual being. He is a spiritual creator. And whenever I know him, my spirit has connected with his spirit. Also, because we are created spiritual beings in the image of God, catch this, it is impossible, it is impossible for a human being to find purpose, fulfillment, satisfaction, or contentment in this life apart from God. It is impossible for a human to find a fulfilled, satisfied, contented life with purpose on this earth outside of God. It's impossible. Why is it impossible? Because we have been created as spiritual beings. And thus we're unable to find completeness in this life outside of a relationship with another spiritual being. You see people going through life and they are pursuing all of the temporal things that life has to offer. They're pursuing all of the the benefits of a temporal world. They are wanting to enjoy these temporal things and they pursue them to excess. We see in our society that there are many people that have ruined their life because they are pursuing pleasures of a temporal world and because that pleasure stops satisfying, they pursue it in excess. and we see lives that are ruined uh, through drugs and through alcohol, uh, through gluttony, through whatever you want to look at. We see people who pursue temporal pursuits and they go after them thinking that they can find satisfaction when what they truly need is for their spirit to be connected to another spirit so that they can find fullness and completeness in this life. We see here uh, that you can never find satisfaction, contentment, purpose or fulfillment apart from God outside of a relationship uh, with our Creator. Solomon gave a great summary of this uh, epidemic among mankind in the book of Ecclesiastes. You read the entire book of Ecclesiastes and you will find that throughout the entire book, Solomon concluded that everything, man may endeavor to do outside of God is vain and worthless. Why? Because you're leaving the main dimension of your being unsatisfied. And you are trying to live to the fulfillment of a temporal body that was simply given to us so that we could interact on this earth until the day came that we would be reunited with our Creator. And so there is no way that you can find fulfillment until you have been reconnected with your Creator. Now, because of sin, because of sin, Adam fell in the garden. Sin came into the world. Sin passed upon all men. The Bible goes on to explain, in case you don't want to accept that sin passed into the world because of Adam, the Bible says, for all have sinned. We are guilty because of Adam's sin. We are guilty because of our own sin. Sin passed upon the whole world. Because of sin passing upon the whole world, man has been separated from God. You know what, sometimes folks will say, well, well, when did man learn? Joel and I were talking about this the other day. We were uh, making some fire starters to take to the camping trip with us and so we was talking about fire and when fire was invented and all this and Joel said, I think God just told man about fire. You know what, a lot of times they'll be like, how did Adam and Eve know this? How did Adam and Eve know that? Well, the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that God came down from heaven in the cool of the day and he walked in the garden with Adam and Eve and they talked together. Now God is the best communicator. I don't know if you know that. And we have a spiritual God communicating with his spiritual creation and I have no doubt that God relayed to them an enormous amount of information. They were united. But the serpent tempted Eve, Eve ate of the fruit, she gave to her husband Adam, Adam ate of the fruit, sin came into the world, and there was a separation between the spirit of man and God who is a spirit. There could be no more communication. Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. The communication was finished. Because of this separation, Man experiences within himself an emptiness, a void, a sense of disconnect in his existence. Many times you will try to witness to someone and you'll say, what keeps you from coming to Christ? I've had more than one person answer this question in the way I'm about to share with you. What keeps you from coming to Christ? And they will name something that is temporal, that they are clinging on to because they feel it is what is bringing them the only joy they have. And they're clinging to something temporal And you say, what keeps you from coming to Christ? And they say, this temporal thing, not realizing that this temporal thing that they're holding on to is the one thing that is keeping their spirit from being able to connect with the Spirit of God and unite them in a fellowship that goes beyond anything that they've ever experienced before. We see here, We see here that man has an emptiness, a void, a sense of disconnect in his existence. His spirit is unable, a lost man's spirit being is unable to connect with the spirit of his creator because of his sin and thus man is incomplete in his existence. Why do men do the things that they do? Because they're incomplete in their existence. Why do they pursue the things they pursue? Because they're incomplete in their existence. They're unable to connect their spirit to God's spirit because they've been separated by sin. thanks be to God, a way has been made that the sin can be washed away and man's spirit can be reconciled with God's Spirit and that union can be restored and man can find fulfillment in who he was created to be. Colossians chapter number 1. If you're writing these verses down, you're going to want to write this one down. Colossians 1 verse 20 down through verse number 22. Colossians 1 20 through 22. And having made peace, through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. Man did something that separated the fellowship between our spirit and God's spirit. God did something to restore that relationship. He did something that would reconcile man to himself. He wanted to restore that fellowship. Therefore, he came, he sacrificed, he made atonement that the sin could be taken away, that you and I could be reunited in our spirit relationship with God. Now get this. We're talking about glorifying God, remember? Go back and catch that. We're building all this to talk about glorifying God. What does it mean to glorify God? Get this. Once my spirit has been reconciled with His spirit, I find a fullness and completeness that the world without God cannot understand. And when I live my life, In this relationship, I live my life in this fellowship with God." My life is markedly different from the life of any human being who has not been reconciled to God. And when they observe my life, they realize that there is a connection between this spiritual being and the Creator and they they realize that they need to turn themselves, they need to be reconciled to God and my life in fellowship with God brings glory to my Creator and points me into Christ as I live this life, fellowshipping this spiritual relationship and fellowship with my Creator. Therefore, I glorify God. Now, the problem is that many Christians, and this is a whole other lesson that we could get into, but many Christians... We still live in a a body of flesh that still has fleshly desires. And many Christians will continue to pursue temporal pursuits. They'll still try to find satisfaction in earthly things. Now I'm not saying that everything earthly is evil, not saying that you can't have nice things, not saying any of that. I'm saying that they still try to find their identity in temporal things and they don't give attention to their relationship with God. That's why the Scripture is full of passages that tell us to glorify God. Quit focusing on the temporal. Quit focusing on this body of flesh. Quit focusing on your comforts and focus on your spiritual relationship with God. Focus on your fellowship with Him. Focus with being united your spirit with His spirit and allow your life to be a beacon of light that illuminates the community and they recognize that this man knows God. I believe that the Bible clearly explains our spiritual existence. It explains that through our spiritual being, we glorify God by becoming a beacon, a light, an example, a guide to those in darkness that they too may be reunited with their Father and enjoy a life of blessing and peace even during the toils of this present life. We see that the Bible is a reliable resource because it explains that we're a spiritual being and that we were created that way. The Bible is a reliable resource because it explains the purpose of man as a spiritual being connected with a spiritual creator. And lastly, we find the Bible a reliable resource concerning the spiritual existence of man when we consider what the Bible says about the future of man. You see, our future is not temporal. Our future is eternal why is our future eternal because every human being that has ever been created is created as an eternal being did you know that because we are spirit beings we are eternal beings therefore our future is not focused on this temporal world but our future is eternal and the bible has much to say about the future of man Flesh, this body of flesh, is temporal, but our spirit is eternal. And the Bible clearly describes that all of mankind will exist eternally. Ecclesiastes chapter number 12 and verse number 7. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7. The Bible says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. Remember, we were created from dust. So when it says that the dust will return to the earth as it was, it's speaking of this body of flesh. The dust shall return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. At the moment of death, the body goes back to the earth and the spirit goes back to God. Now we could get into the whole doctrine here of uh, soul sleep and what people have to say about that. I believe the Bible clearly teaches me that at the moment my life ends on this earth, uh, I am in the presence of my almighty God. I am in the presence of my Creator. The dust returns to the earth and the Spirit returns unto God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse number 21. Ecclesiastes 3 and 21. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? The Bible also makes clear that where our spirit spends eternity will be determined by whether or not we have turned loose of temporal pursuits of the flesh and yielded ourselves to a spiritual relationship with our Creator. Those that go through life not willing to turn loose of temporal things will never experience an eternity of bliss with their Savior. But those who turn from temporal pursuits and selfish pursuits and they give themselves to a spiritual relationship with the spiritual Creator are promised an eternity of bliss continuing that relationship. Those who deny their spiritual existence. There are some who deny that human beings are spiritual beings. They seek satisfaction in this world. They will find themselves lacking on that final day when they stand before an almighty God and listen as they are condemned to an eternity of punishment because they've refused to recognize that their spirit needed to be reconciled to His Spirit. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9 and verse number 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. All human beings are eternal beings, and all human beings will exist eternally. Some, however, will exist in an eternity of hellfire and torture and pain because they refused to reconcile themselves to God. Others will exist in an eternity of total bliss because they were reconciled through the blood of Christ. You and I are spiritual beings There's much more that we could say about this subject, but our purpose has been to prove whether or not the Bible's a reliable resource. And whenever we ask the question, the Bible claims to be a spiritual book. It claims to be written by a spiritual author. I know that I'm a spiritual being. Does this book explain my spiritual existence? I don't believe there is another resource available in the world that explains the spiritual existence of man as thoroughly and completely and accurately as this book does. Is this book a reliable resource? I believe absolutely. The Bible is a reliable resource. I believe these studies as well as many other proofs allow us to be able to confidently trust in the pages of this book. If you remember when we started this study and I put some videos on the screen of people who said reading the Bible made me an atheist. Let me just say to you, there are plenty who want to attack this book, but this book is a reliable resource. And whenever you are reunited and reconciled with your Creator, there is nothing that will minister to your soul and direct your life and answer your questions and provide a uh, Uh, contentment and satisfaction and peace like the pages of this book will. Those who don't know God, their spirit's not connected with His spirit. God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And they come to this book rejecting a relationship with their Creator and they try to read His book uh, and they say, I don't understand it. The problem is that they've not been reconciled with God. Is this book a reliable resource? Absolutely, this book is a reliable resource. I hope y'all enjoyed that lesson. I hope it made sense to you. I know we dug in a, a little bit deep there. hope it made sense to you. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if me explaining this relationship, you're sitting there saying, I don't know what you're talking about that doesn't resonate with me my my christianity has never went any deeper than surface perhaps as the bible says you should make your calling and election sure and make sure that you know him as lord and savior and that your spirit is fellowshiping with his spirit pray that's been a blessing to you this evening we're going to move